Greg and Josh are not paid critics. They are not experts, nor do they claim to be. They are just two nerds that love to talk about internet shows. However, they're still going to tell you about what they think. So sit down, relax, and enjoy the latest episode of All Queued Up. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of All Queued Up. I'm your host, Greg Dietz, and with me always is Josh Fisher. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good today, man. How about you? Doing all right. Doing all right. I, uh, I got, I'm doing that uh, food, fruit and vegetables thing at, the, at elementary schools again, so I get to hand out uh, nectarines to kids yes, today. Yes, tomorrow I get to do white peaches and then Friday plums. Man, why do they got to be white peaches? Peaches can be for everybody, can't they? <laughs> well, what if that's I told you there was that? What if I told you we're getting some yellow program. peaches? That's a fucked up school program, man. <laughs> Should be for everybody, all inclusive, fruits and vegetables. You know what? It is, Josh. God damn it! I know. I was just fucking with you. I know. Uh, I did have two teachers who didn't read their emails about the program starting today, so they were very confused when I came to their classroom with a basket full of of uh, uh, nectarines, delicious just, fresh fruits. Like I'm like I just I just washed all this if you want it, but uh, but yeah, um, guys, if you're new to the podcast, uh, what Josh and I do here is we talk about two shows in their entirety on an internet streaming platform: uh, Netflix, Amazon Prime. I say Hulu, but we have yet to do Hulu because their their original content is not great. Um, or YouTube Premium, uh, which realistically at this point that's just Cobra Kai. Um, well, you did make me watch Laser Tag or well, Laser yeah. Team, Laser Team Two specifically. But I had to watch uh, the first one to get the context of the second one. So, and your sense of humor sucks, so you didn't like it. No. I said it, I, I I said I admire what they were attempting to do. I said that humor though was not for me. I, I didn't just like fucking it. Josh <laughs> um, but yeah, so today, guys, we're going to be talking about Carnival Row on Amazon Prime and Dark Crystal: Age of Resistance on Netflix. Yeah, we are um, fantasy themed like a motherfucker this week. No kidding, and I love it. Uh. I'm impartial because I like sci-fi more. <laughs> I mean, I, there's, arguably, there are great stories a, in both genres. Arguably, I would say Dark Crystal has a lot of sci-fi in it. <laughs> I mean, um, there, 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 there really is. There's, there's some deep lore that you don't get from the movies alone. There's a lot of supplemental material right. out there. Right. Um. Well, I just knocked. I just hit my mic. Uh trying to scratch my nose uh guys we will be talking spoilers straight up kind of have to with both these shows we'll 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 try to avoid some big spoilers uh but there's a few things in both shows that are quote-unquote twists Mm -hmm. and we will have we will have to bring them up just because i do want to discuss them um that being said guys uh let's get down uh, to it yeah i was i was like i was trying to think of anything else we gotta cover so yeah, we're going to start with Carnival Row. Uh, mm-hmm. Josh, if you would give a synopsis to the lovely people. Sure, sure. Uh, well, Carnival Row 
It's a neo-noir fantasy web television series uh, created by Travis Beecham and Rene Echevarria. I hope I'm not butchering the person's name. Uh, I do apologize if I did and you hear this. But it's an eight-episode series starring Orlando Bloom and Cara Delevingne. Kara Delevingne, how do you say her last name? Is it Delevingne? I, I think you're right. I think you're close enough. <laughs> um, it's already been renewed for a second season as well. Uh, but it's based on a screenplay for a film that Travis Beecham wrote called A Killing on Carnival Row. And made into a series. And it follows the mythical creatures who have fled their war-torn homeland and gathered into a city. As tensions and simmering, uh, tensions are simmering between the na- native citizens and the growing immigrant population. Hmm, sounds like America. Um, at the center of the drama is the investigation into a string of unsolved murders, madness of power, unresolved love, and social adjustments eating away at whatever uneasy peace that exists. Um. First off, this show is visually gorgeous. Oh, yeah. And incredibly detailed. And it's set like, they refer to the time period as 7th century in their world. It looks like late 1800s, early 1900s. I was going to say... I was going to say, like, Victorian Industrial Age. Yeah, yeah, like, late 1800s, early 1900s at the latest, uh, London. Very steampunky, um, you know, very early early industrial age, but there's, like, airships and shit, and there are steam-powered trains and boats, but electricity is just coming about. Uh, but it's not in wide use. They still rely on gas lamps and things like that, but this world that has been built is absolutely gorgeous. And it's cool to see, you know, these goat men, which are called uh, pucks. They've got the lower body of a goat and the upper body um, of a man the, with ram horns. The, and The best way that I can describe them to you is imagine adult or uh, uh, full-on, like, six-foot-tall. Um, I just had the name in my head. It starts with an F. God, there, I would, you know, in fantasy-based stuff, there's half goat, half men. Um, I'm gonna look that up right now because I had the name in my head two seconds ago, and it literally just went poof, gone. Well, you uh, know, if you've seen the Chronicles of Narnia movies, that's Mr. what I'm Tumnus, thinking of. Mr. Tumnus was one. A fawn, Jesus a fawn. Christ. Yeah, that's that's how C.S. Lewis described them. Um, but the lower body of a goat, the upper body of a man. But they Usually, have big ram horns instead of like the smaller goat horns. They have big ram horns that come right. out, start growing out of their brow, and encircle their head. So, <clears throat> yeah, it looks it looks it looks quite significantly different. But for me, they still were very fawn-ish, just more imposing. Yeah, yeah, they weren't like dwarf size. They were full on. I would say they're arguably half half. Uh, Half man, half ram, and less goat. Yeah, uh, yeah, more of a ram than goat, that's for sure. Um, 
They also there's also uh, uh, fairies, which they have a name too, but I don't. They call them they call them pigs, short for pixie. Pigs, yeah, yeah. All all of the creatures are referred to overall as fae, f a e. Oh, I thought I thought critch. Oh, critch was the derogatory term. Critch is the derogatory slur that they use for the fae. You know, the proper terminology is fae folk, but of course, all of these hateful racist people call them critch. That is a very strong theme throughout this show, is that all the Fey folk are essentially immigrants. Yep. They are all and immigrants. Uh, the The nation that it takes place in primarily is called the Berg. I thought that was just the city. That's the city. Uh, city, state, city, nation, I'm not sure. But definitely the city. That's where it takes place for the most part. And Carnival um, Row is just one spot. In it's, it's Yeah, it's a neighborhood. And that's where a majority of all of the Fae folk are forced to reside. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an, so, a fascinating world. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with a lot of what you're talking about. And I think it looks, it looks fantastic. And um, the story that's told overall, I think, is fine. Um, Here's my problems with it. Way too much information for noir. Way too much information. That well, third episode, that third episode was highly irritating to me. That third episode was probably my favorite. That's so weird to me. It was unbelievably unnes- it was unbelievably unnecessary to me. Um, to me it was totally necessary. No, well, here's why. Almost everything that was said in that episode, I understood. I didn't need to be told that because from a character dynamic between, um, and I'm forgetting, obviously I'm forgetting their names, but Orlando Bloom and, and Kara Delange or whatever her name is. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, hold on now. Orlando Bloom's character is, his name is Rycroft Philostrate and they call him Philo for short. Philo, that's right. And Kara Delevingne, her name is Vignette Stonemoss and her friends refer to her as Vig. Now she's obviously a Pix. A fairy. Yes. And he is an inspector of the Berg Constabulary. He's an investigator uh, uh, of the police. So, yeah. And in, a war veteran. In episode, in episode two, there's a shot where he is post-coitus with a woman, and she is touching his back asking about scars. Mm-hmm. That was enough information for me to know the truth. There's a shot. There's a, there's a conversation later. With uh, Vig and or Vignette and her friend that was in the, the the brothel about that Philo was still alive. This indicated to me that uh, Vignette and Philo had a connection of some kind. Specifically, have to do with that they were married because when she's wearing a widow's braid and she says, "You didn't know Philo's still alive, and I know who Philo is." Obviously, they were married, and something happened, and that can be unraveled as the show continues with the murder mystery. Um, it's not just that. There's a lot more that went on in that episode, though. I wholeheartedly disagree. Okay. Wholeheartedly disagree. Tell me what happened in that episode that wasn't told to us later via dialogue. Uh, well, for one... You find out how important and their sacred library that she guarded was. You know that's that that, that was told to us later. 
it was shown, you know, anyway, uh, the Mimasuri, you know, what the, the Mimas, what role they perform. Uh, you know, you see the refugees, you see what happens to his best friend. Uh, uh, God, what's his name? I think Darius. Uh, that was yeah. okay. So on that note, that could have been told to you via that their their little conversations. It when when could have when been, Philo, but it, it was so visually stunning, it was nice to see, and I really I enjoyed the story. It. it it breaks the it breaks away from what I love about noir, and that's minimal information that you have to discern by continuing to watch it. Telling me all that right away made me very bored towards parts of the show where they're delving into that. The whole scene where she finds the library in the city, i it was boring. I was like, okay, I understand that you, you have this connection to it. It would have been more impactful to me to see her react that way and then maybe do a very brief flashback of her like trying to save it and keep it locked away. And the fact that it was found uh, was both a relief and miserable to her. Didn't need to have that in the flashback or the whole flashback episode. I enjoyed it, man. I thought it was very touching and just brutal to see how things transpired. Like it was emotionally impactful. I'm like, fuck, they just ripped my heart out. You know, and I think that's what they were going for. You know, I, give you more, I, give you more of an emotional attachment to the characters, the two leads. That's the other. That's that's the other thing, Josh, that that irritated me. It completely went away from the continuing story that we were already enjoying. I was already, I was already on board and in this in this train car with this like, who's the murderer? Is that even a human? Like, is, is that you know what what creature is that? Is it is it Cthulhu? Like, is it uh, not Cthulhu, but is it? Uh, HP Lovecraft esque, like what the fuck is that thing? And then they're just like, hold on, we got to tell you about this whole past thing that we could have told you otherwise. I honestly believe in the whole my heart of hearts, Josh. You could skip episode three and not miss out on anything in the whole show. I disagree. We're gonna have to agree to disagree on it. No, I, I already was already on board with that. I'm telling you my like, yeah, yeah. Why, like, I. I I mean, you I see, think- you see, you know, it opens up, and let's 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 tell everybody up front: this show's gory as fuck in places. It's visceral. Yeah. It's violent. It's bloody. It's very adult. It's very R-rated. Yes, very R-rated. Uh, it opens up. You see, fey folk trying to flee their homeland and just getting cut down by these. Uh, the the other regime is called the Pact. They're they're getting mowed down mercilessly by the Pact soldiers. Uh, so you're seeing you're going back and seeing their homeland during wartime and how it leads up to how bad it got. And you see, you know, his history in the Berg army and they were trying to help the faithful. But they're really there more to try to take control of the resources. But he is one of the few people that have an affinity towards the Fey folk. You know, you see those, um, the racial biases and contempt are already prevalent even before they became immigrants. I mean, it gives you a lot in that regard. You know, some people may find it necessary. Some people may find it unnecessary. Just for me personally, I did love it. 
Um, um, well, that's that's the thing, Josh, is that like that's what I'm trying to exemplify with my point is that those first two episodes gave me so much information that I didn't need that middle part. I didn't need that episode three. It, it was it was fine. And then parts of the information that that episode three did give me were were said were reiterated later that I would have picked up on. Like there's a little piece of information. I don't remember where which episode. I want to say two, one or two. But there's somebody mentioned something about pixies or pixes, pix, whatever, um, that I thought was rad. And it was one guy. It was a, it was a passive fucking thing um, where he says, uh, I love I love I love beating up pigs or something like that. Or I love I love doing this because their bone their hollow bones break so easily. And my thought process went, holy shit, that's a passive line, but that's really brilliant because it tells me that that's how pixies are able to fly, is that they basically have bird bones. Well, yeah, yeah, because their wings aren't technically big enough. Like if you, if if you go with a with an average body size and then you do the wingspan of what you would need for lift mm-hmm. off the ground. With our heaviness, mm-hmm. it would it would like you'd it'd be huge, but their wings are tiny. Yeah, in, in comparison. But you think about like other animals that have tiny wings and their body proportion, and it's because their bones are hollow. Exactly, and that makes sense to me. It's a passive line, and I picked up on it. And so I so I did other many many other things, and it's just like that's I, I don't know, man, like. I mean, yeah, some things were easy to pick up on. Other things, you know, are foreshadowed. And if you're clever enough and thinking long enough, it's easy to pick up on those things that are foreshadowing. But overall, as a whole, I totally enjoyed the story. You know, what was going on and how everything was slowly woven together and interwoven over time. I thought it was really cool. Um, you know... Uh, uh, the uh, the murders, you know, it opens up, follows. He's trying to track down. There's a there's a specific uh, guy who's going around in the fake community, trying to. Uh, he's assaulting uh, faithful, and it's happening once every three weeks. And he finally gets a description of the attacker, and you know the the. Faye told him, well, it was a man in uniform. He had a snake tattoo on his forearm, and he had a bald head and mutton chops, uh, which were a popular uh, facial hair fashion in that time period, apparently, because a lot of people had mutton chops. <laughs> but uh, when you think, oh, well, this is going to be one of the guys he's going to have to track down over time. And well, that guy... He offed himself in the first episode. He wasn't important. But he said he sees what's coming. He knows what he has to do. And he's trying to just one at a time end it, I guess. But then you see this real killer and this this monster that's killing people. And they seem random at first. And over time, it's revealed they're not random and you learn who the real target is um i i enjoyed it overall i mean i thought it was well done i don't know i just i i hate doing this because i hate when others do it but i have to point it out and i should i shouldn't do it i shouldn't judge it based on this but 
for me, there was so much predictability. Um, now, again, the reason I don't like doing that, and just to clarify, because not everyone sees what I see. Yeah. Not everyone's going to predict what I predict. So I can't judge it based on me fucking seeing things coming. Yeah. Um, but admittedly, it did diminish some of the quality for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like, again, the big reveal with Philo. I mean, there were actually three big reveals with him. The and first two were really, really easy for me. The, the first, first two, two were, were the first two were super easy, but you didn't pick. But the first one, which you know, referring to, also related to that first murder, you don't really pick up on it in that moment. You pick up on a few minutes before the end of that episode. You realize, you know, it's like, oh, it, I know yeah. where this is going now. Yeah, yeah. The second one is like pretty much as soon as you saw those scars and, you know, you think maybe that's not a war wound at all. Maybe that's something happened to him and he's not aware of. And, you know, you learn in the next episode what that was. I think that's one of my biggest issues with the episode three. Uh, I feel like they revealed... uh, Philo's big secret way too early and gave too much away. Um, because throughout the whole film, I'm trying to figure out what that third one is and I'm watching everybody and I'm going, okay, so we know, God, okay, spoilers, straight up. I, this, it's hard to fucking talk about things without spoiling. Guys, spoilers. For the next five minutes, spoilers. Um, Philo being half fairy or half uh, uh, pixie and half human was uh, was immediate to me. It was right away. I saw it coming. And then the episode three where they just straight up say it, they straight up just give it to you. I was like, okay, well, who was who were his parents? And then it was uh, it was pretty fucking obvious when episode four rolled around when they uh, went to like he was trying to figure out who killed that person. I was like, oh, shit, that's his mom. Yeah, that's straight up his mom. And then throughout the rest of the show, I'm like, okay, who's his dad? Yeah. Who's, who's his see, dad? And see, at first, like, I thought the headmaster that was murdered was his dad, but his headmaster was murdered just because he knew the truth. See, that's, that's, I knew it wasn't, I knew that's not who it was. Well, I, I figured out was, that it wasn't who it was afterwards when, you know, it was revealed that he had a uh, male lover. <laughs> that, yeah. Well, I, I the point I was getting at was I figured it out pretty early. I figured out, like, episode eight, who his dad was. Yeah, well, um, episode seven, you know. Seven? Yeah, it's episode seven where it's revealed. Oh, there's only eight episodes, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's only eight episodes. Episode, episode six is when I figured it out then. So I was thinking ten episodes with the, like, it was it was the episode right before they revealed it, is my point. Yeah, yeah, there, there, there are several things that you can figure out that kind of foreshadow and clue in to say, hey, if you're keeping up paying attention you can pretty much deduce what this means. To but me, I don't think it's a bad me, thing. No. Well, kind of. No. But I'll explain, I'll explain why. Um, it would have been that much more impactful if you cut out a lot of what it had to do with his mom and that when he goes to that uh, orphanage and he sees like 
he's remembering being on the bed and he falls and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he can kind of remember hearing a, a rhyme. Mm-hmm. Um, that was enough. Never, if they hadn't shown the stuff in episode three at all, um, and they hadn't shown his, his, the girl he was sleeping with or his girlfriend at the time, like, what are these scars on your back? Um, and we had absolutely very little information to go on that he was half fae. Um, that, that fucking jaw dropping moment of he's half fae, half human. His mom was killed and he's trying to figure out his mom's killer. And this is his, uh, this is his father would have just been a whole, like as, as big of a shock as Tyler Durden, not being real as Darth Vader being Luke's father, it would have been that big, but it wasn't. I don't think it needed to be. I do. No, I don't think it it's needed a newer be. story, man. Well, like it to me, it works better if it's that big. I mean that that's that's a subjective thing, you know. I'm not disagreeing with you. You know, I think I think it worked just fine for what it is. Um, I think by giving little hints and clues and going about, but it wasn't little hints. It wasn't little hints and clues. It was directly in your face. No, it wasn't that direct, man. I mean, well, anyway. What I'm saying is, I think it had more of an emotional impact than just shock factor impact by having it done the way it was done, which I'm all for. Um, and, you know, you don't have to feel the same way. Well, I was going to say, my, my argument towards that is uh, um, you can still have emotional impact with shock. I think... There's some there's some things that I've watched recently that that did that very well. I'm not saying it's the best that's ever been done. I'm just saying it was done well enough to where it didn't it wasn't a bad thing for me. Um, that's fine. I I uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Like I, I I just feel like there's there's parts of the show that could have been a lot better because realistically, there's so much good about this show. Like we kind of talked about that earlier about all the fucking like visually stunning it is and the noir story is awesome yeah yeah like i that's my favorite thing about this show is the murder mystery part like that is fantastic oh it absolutely Um, is and the revelation at the end is rad like that was a good shock because i'll tell you what didn't see that coming at all (laughs) which don't know why which which everything with philo i saw coming but not oh you uh, mean the the new policies enacted and how they came about no 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 who the killer was. Oh, no, I picked up on that actually a lot earlier. I knew she had something to do with it, but I didn't know that. I figured it was her probably about three or four episodes in. Well, because they didn't give us... They didn't give us direct information. They did give us information, like she knew the witch and yada, yada, yada. But... um. There was just so much about her I loved. I loved that character so much, and I loved what she was doing. Oh, yeah. My favorite part of the show. Like, hands down. Like, honestly, the stuff with Philo and, 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 uh, and, uh, uh, Vig? Vignette. Vignette. I was trying to say Vignette. Um, that kind of, like, uh, uh not my favorite. <laughs> just straight up not my favorite stuff. But, uh, 
Side Josh, note, Greg the... is not a romantic at heart. Oh, Josh. Well, you're not. Oh, Josh. You're not. It's okay. I don't know that that has to fucking do with anything. Yeah, I think it would help to be, I think it would help to help lend to your enjoyment of those characters and their arcs and their portrayals, if you were. But, regardless. Um, maybe I'm not super into the romantic, romanticizing part of something, but I do like the romanticizing part of um, a relationship that exists. And you and you hash out that relationship as you go. I like that stuff. Look, I fucking love Steven Universe, and that has a lot of romantic shit in it. That gets to me, so I don't think it's that. <laughs> that's my. That's why I'm arguing against it. Uh, but that being said, let's give our ratings. Let's give our final thoughts and ratings. Well, you go first. We, um. So I'm gonna give this show a B plus. Um. I really liked a lot of it. I really enjoyed the the overarching story about who like who's killing uh, Fey folk, uh, who's killing humans, like why the unraveling of that, the mystery of all that. That was my that I loved all of that, and that's the prime component to the entire story. It's a, it's a it's a it's the biggest part of the whole story. This the stuff with Philo and Vig and the history and the. Uh, present with them and all kinds of stuff like it's not it's not on the forefront it's not the main thing of the show um there is a bit of a side story oh yeah we didn't even touch on that with the uh the aristocratic uh fade that moved in next to uh you know he moved into the swanky neighborhood so to speak and uh, how you know people thought it was just the most appalling abhorrent thing that could possibly happen and then the one young girl who just wants to manipulate him for money who ends up, well, it goes beyond that, and that storyline. That was cool. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was an interesting story. I didn't hate it. The only part I didn't like about it that really just, I was like, okay, come on, was the sex scene. <laughs> I was like, um, this is long. This is like Quentin Tarantino fucking doing saying. a landscape of, of snow. All right. Anyway, B plus. I, I enjoyed most of the show. I thought it could be done a little bit better for my taste, um, but it's a it's 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 a good show overall. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to give it an A. Um, I knew you were. I mean, I, I, it's it's my it's I love it. It's 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 my genre. You know, I I love fantasy stuff. I really do. Um, and blended in in the style that it was, I mean, it was everything I wanted, you know, and I'm looking forward to season two. I really enjoyed the show. I don't think that any parts are unnecessary, but I can see how some people would think that, but it's absolutely visually stunning. Uh, it's well written, uh, in regards to the characters, character development, character growth. Um, you know, and there are some genuinely surprising twists in it, even though some things are a little telegraphed. There are some things that you're like, wow, I really didn't see that coming, uh, as Greg alluded to before. So if you like fantasy stuff at all, you're going to like this, I'm pretty sure. If, you, if you've ever 
heard of or read the comic Fables. Um, yeah, it's a great comic. This is definitely in that wheelhouse of kind of what that is to what this is. A little bit, yeah. Um, less. This is much less modern than Fables is. Yeah. Modern's like, like Fables is like today. Yeah. Uh, but also, like, the thing about Carnival Row is that the, that world has never, quote unquote, existed without Fey Folk. It's now, they were they were the original people. It was man that came later in this world. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. Whereas fables, it was just like all these fairy tale characters came to the present because of whatever the the fucking adversary. Which was. is basically um, what Disney's Once Upon a Time became. It was like a live action wannabe version of fables. Yeah, I was just saying Not that as the game well that came done. Out. <laughs> The game that Telltale did, A Wolf Among uh, Us, Wolf Among that Us, was great. Is is it? Yeah, it's it is a noir detective noir story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's my favorite of the Telltale games. Too. It's um, it's a damn good one. Uh, anyway, we should move on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's a good recommendation. I mean, a B plus is another shake of stick. No, no. I just didn't like it as much as Josh. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh. So we're going to move on to the hot commodity right now. Oh, um, is it ever? Uh, the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. So if you don't know what this is, uh, thank you for being here, 15-year-olds. Um, if you do know what this is, then you were probably you probably grew up in the 80s and the 90s. Probably closer to uh, my age. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I'm a bit younger than you. It came out literally the year before <clears throat> before I was born. Yep. Uh, but but I did watch it when I you know like late '80s, early '90s because I'm sure it was on HBO or some shit at one point. Um, but you have not watched it, the movie, the original movie, since you were a child. Since that time. Since I got, yeah. you know, probably before you were ten years old. Well, this is like this is also in that wheelhouse of like when people talk about. Jim Henson based movies or things with Jim Henson creations in them. Dark Crystal is one people don't bring up the most. It's usually uh, uh, Labyrinth or um, like the Muppets in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oddly enough, it's the one he was the proudest of and thought was his right. finest achievement. And it's probably got the most cult status. Yes, 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 absolutely. Which was a big surprise to see this get an adaptation. An adaptation um, had been in the works for decades. Uh, really? Yes, they had been trying to do it. I had heard a sequel was in the works for decades. They had been. But they it. had been trying to do it for decades, and the intended sequel actually became a follow-up comic book series. And okay, did not know that. And some earlier prequels, referred to as Dark Crystal's Legends, uh, were released as a couple of manga series. Well, the, the good thing about this show, before we get into a synopsis, is that you could arguably watch this show without ever have seen, seen the movie. You, How do I know this? Because I don't remember the movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, dude, go back and watch the movie first. He's like, no, I'm going to watch it uh, without watching the movie. I was like, all right. Because I, I just wanted to see if I could discern anything from the show in a positive light. Uh, without knowing anything about the movie, without remembering a damn thing. Um, there's even a part, in, like I think episode seven or whatever, I was texting him and I was like, 
are they just talking about like what happens in the future and it's just the movie? And he was like, no. I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, you hit me up they, with a lot of questions throughout this series. Because <laughs> I thought like I was expecting them to have some big nod to the film, and they really don't. No, it's a uh, well. It's here. Here's the synopsis. It's it's set fifty years prior to the events of the original film, The Dark Crystal, that was released in December of '82. Uh, I saw it in the theater right before Christmas as a six-year-old. I love Christum. I said Christmas. It's my it's my favorite holiday. Christum. Christum's my favorite holiday. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna Christum you and smash you with a wine bottle up the side of your head. <laughs> Isn't that what they do to ships? Christum. See, say it real fast. Christum. <laughs> As I was saying, Christmas, fucker. <clears throat> Uh, but yeah, I saw it in the theaters when I was six, and it's been one of my favorite films as a kid, and always held a very, very, very strong spot of nostalgia for me, along with a couple of other movies that came out in the 80s that were fantasy films, but this one is probably my most revered. You know, other films of the age, I'm not gonna lie, I was a huge fan of The Last Unicorn animated movie. Uh... Oh, Last of the Unicorn is gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, adore that fucking movie. Uh, you know, Dragon Slayer, a fantasy theme movie that came out in eighty one. Fucking loved it. You know, uh, more of a family oriented family uh fantasy film uh in eighty four, the never ending story, fucking adore it. But when it comes to not to sound like that old man that's like, Hey kids, get off my lawn, but we really need some like classic hand drawn animated movies to come back. Some real fucking um, like, like fucking rolls of the dice type shit. Like we really do. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, guys. That's, like that's why I love this so much. Um, see, that's and that's that's one thing. That's a big reason why Josh, I wanted to watch this without seeing the movie. Was <clears throat> my nostalgia barely exists for this? Yeah, I, like if at all. So. The juxtaposition of our opinions on this are going to be quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the main reasons why I love this is this looks like it doesn't make the old movie look terrible. They're using the same style. They're using the same uh, practical effects that they used 40 years ago because they started filming this in like 79 it took a couple of years for them to get the movie done um it all use same set design and creature designer brian froud that worked on the original movie worked on this series and using puppets recreating this world and enhanced with cgi and spots to bring this world back to life in an absolutely stunningly gorgeous fashion. Um, one of the, one of the things I want to do bring up, I do want to bring up um, that I think is fascinating about this the show and and how they made it is for the most part as a thirty a thirty six thirty thirty six year old male. <laughs> 
Um, I literally had to think of my own age. I was like, am I 37 or 36? Uh, that's bad. Jesus Christ. I can't even remember my own age now. Who cares? After you hit 30, am I right? Um, I don't know. I'm still 29. <laughs> what are you? What are you? What are you? My mom? Uh, ew. Not, you know what? Anyway, uh, one of the things I liked about this was how goofy a lot of the anime, like one of the, uh, the puppeteering looks. Um, it's, it's a sense of charm and, uh, uh, you just don't get from other things. Like, for example, not the best example, but an example nonetheless, one of my favorite things from Team America World Police is how goofy everything looked. How silly everything, kind of, the action sequences and, and, and how, uh, uh, just comedic it was in that nature. And I know that this show's not going for that. I know that they're trying to do it as best they can in regards to it, it being a, uh, a proper story with, with, uh, twists and turns and, dra- and dramatic moments. Uh, but I tell you, when, <laughs> when there are full on puppets jumping on the backs of other human sized puppets, I just can't help but laugh. It looks so fucking silly. And I love it for that. This is not a criticism. This is a me going, that's that good fucking shit to inject into my veins. Um, silly Muppet like animations or silly mu- Muppet movements. Mwah, just, I oh, so good. I adore it. Um, so that is what kept me in this show. That's what kept me to my seat. I was like, what fucking rad, goofy-ass fucking puppeteering thing am I going to see next? And, and that, again, this is not a slight, because they did a phenomenal job. Oh, absolutely. And what's great is there are there's one scene in particular where the three main uh, protagonists uh, learn about the history of the world that they live on, and it's told to them via a puppet show, which I thought was the most meta yet fucking wonderful moment that you could possibly have because the storyteller was like, well, we're going to tell this through the finest storytelling device of the age. Puppetry! And I was like, yeah! <laughs> yeah, that was definitely that was definitely a, a, a fourth wall breaking joke for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it didn't come across as fourth wall breaking, but it really was. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's a joke in, in the Steven Universe movie of a character uh, who, um, she was a villain at one point, she comes around, and there's a device that could basically make her lose, <sighs> like, their her entire memory and start back from scratch. Mm. Um, and her, her quote is, wait, that thing could have taken away all my character development? Fucking... Same joke. It's the same fucking like fourth breaking fourth breaking wall joke, but it fits within the context of the scene. It's brilliant, is my point. Yeah, yeah. Also, those two characters, by the way, my my favorite next to Hup. I love Hup. Cool, Hup cool boy. Now, now, if you if you're listening to this and you're wondering, because we've still not gotten to the synopsis of the fucking show, <laughs> the original movie. Are you okay there? It's just so funny 
we haven't got to the synopsis. No, and we're no. like fucking ten minutes into talking about this damn show. I know, I know. Well, the the premise is it's a prequel. It's set fifty years prior to the original movie. In the original movie, you have two Gelfling, Jen and Kira who are tasked with the quest, Jen specifically, of healing the dark crystal, the fractured crystal, which is, as it turns out, the life force or the heart of the entire world of Thra. And there are two races of beings that were not native to Thra, the Skeksis and the Uru, who were polar opposites of each other, which were actually splintered, they were trying to purify themselves, and as a result of the purification process not working, they were split into two new races, the polar opposites, a light half and a dark half. The, the, they were originally the Erskex, and some little backstory about the Erskex right fast. They were originally 18 beings that were cast from their own world because they refused to conform with the collectivist society that they were from. Uh, and their world had a crystal too. Apparently in this universe that has been created, worlds are interconnected by crystals. So they were banished from their world saying that once you find your balance, you may return to our world and they were transported to Thra via the crystal. And they were there for a thousand years, being and just living among Agra and the Gelfling and the uh, the uh, other populations of Thra. And it was after the first thousand years, they wanted to try to go home, and a Gelfling was playing a song that the Erskeks just adored. And one of them grew distraught and because of his anger at being cast out his distraught and homesickness came into play and his anger rose at the moment of the second great conjunction what happened was because he wasn't pure in thought and being at the time of the conjunction that's what fractured them into the Skeksis and the Uru so the next thousand years or trine as they refer to them in the series the Skeksis have taken over and ruled. They were at first benevolent and then became cruel over time. The mystics went into hiding. And in this, you see the final days, uh, the start of the resistance of the Gelfling coming together to rise against the Skeksis, to take their planet back. That's what this show is ultimately all about. That's why it's called the Age of Resistance. You see the dawn of that resistance. You see the Gelfling emerge from their ignorance about how cruel and hateful and savage the Skeksis truly are. And it's just a well-done 10-episode visual delight. We could talk ad nauseum, Josh, about everything good about this show the puppeteering the visual the visual aspect the story um, the the character development I talk, yeah i want to talk about uh, something that i didn't like about the show um now i know that this is just the way that it is because the old show was like this it's not going to change and the uh the actors 
that played these characters did a phenomenal job. Yep. I hate the way the Skeksis talk. Oh. Hate it. Well. Uh, I, I feel like that's intentional. Yeah. Uh, they use broken English, um, and they have a guttural, yet high-pitched voice in many cases. It made it very hard to watch a lot of the show, because I want... I wanted to enjoy it, and and maybe the way that they talk works for a short period, shorter period of time. And maybe if I watched this show like one at a time, it might have been better for me. But the fact that I was uh, uh, binging it in that fashion, I got so fucking annoyed by the way they talk. The only one that like didn't bother me that much was uh, was uh, the 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 scientist played by Mark Hamill. And the reason why, uh, because it was very reminiscent of the Joker's voice that he used on Batman yes. the Animated Series in the 90s. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, like that's... I don't know how much of a nitpick or a complaint this can actually be, because it's. I imagine it's not that big of a deal for some people. And maybe I'm alone in this, but yeah, I just... I like, there was, like, honestly, dude... There were many times where they're doing a scene and I just didn't hear it. Just didn't hear anything they were saying. Because I just, I, I stopped, my brain just was like, nope, not dealing with this right now. To be fair. And maybe it's just a, all right. And maybe it's just a me thing, but there were characters within Game of Thrones that did this too. Which brings me to my second point. Good Lord, is this Game of Thrones for kids? Yeah, pretty much. Good God. Like, I thought that was just a passive joke on the internet. No. The, 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 the amount of dialogue and intrigue and bags, 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 backstabbing and uh, uh, political, like, tug-of-war shit is Game of Thrones in a goddamn nutshell. It really is um, Game of Thrones for kids. The, there was a moment in the show that was very Game of Thronesy. And uh, I won't specify who and what and where. You're talking about the mother their... and the sisters? Oh, yes. absolutely. And the yeah, the old Madra's like, no! And he's like, slash. And I went, oh! <laughs> yeah, yeah. This show, this show, this show just went Game of Thrones this, on me. This show, it does not hold back. The original movie was dark. This one's dark. This show is dark. It is a lot darker. It's not for young kids. Uh, not not under the age of five or six, at least. Uh, probably more for kids, you know, around eight, nine, ten years old and up. Um, good luck getting them to wa watch it if they're twelve. <sighs> Madison kills me. Uh, but man, this show it goes some places, and there's some really dark stuff that happens, and. You, visually speaking, there's some gnarly uh, shit, yeah. like in the last episode, that I was like, oh. Visually speaking, <laughs> there's one scene in particular. There's a character, Skeklock the Collector, um, which was portrayed as male in the original movie, but female in this one. Uh, she uh, has these terrible pustules. They're always oozing this pus-like substance out 
they're bursting and getting everywhere. And there's this one scene where the Skeksis, who are disgusting creatures, and it was established in the original movie and reestablished firmly here how disgusting they are, they're having this big feast, and one of her pustules is oozed and dripped into her own food, and she's just picking it up and eating this pus-filled food. Greg was filming that scene and sent me a reaction of him watching that scene. He was, like, literally about to puke. It was funny as hell. It's disgusting. It was honestly like I, I, I watched it and I was like, oh, fucking God. Like, I was like, that was so like, I know it's not real, but that was so visually disturbing. And so what I did is I went back, filmed it and then and then filmed my reaction of like looking grimaced in the face and then do a quick gag. Mm-hmm. Um, and you did have a green look uh, about your gills, sir. Well, that's because the first time I watched it, it wasn't great. And then I had to watch, I had to like film it like three or four times. So I had to watch that shot like three or four times. And the more I watched it, the sicker that's I got. So that's awesome. why. Yeah. I'll, I'm going to actually upload that video to my YouTube channel. So that way, if anyone who's who's listening to this wants to see it, it's there. Uh, just Chub Rocky channel. Yeah, that, that, that's, um, that's dedication to a visual gag right there. I don't, you know, if there's one thing I'm known for, it's my dedication to dumb jokes. Um, the, uh, I just, yeah, that, that was the thing that really kept me to my seat. Cause I'm not going to lie. A lot of the, a lot of the way they tell this story. And again, I bring it back to game of Thrones because it's very much a soap opera mm-hmm. where there's so much dialogue that is important, but can be passively watched. Like, I picked up everything that was going on in the show. I picked up all the plot details, the character development, all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But I didn't pay super, super close attention. But the thing that I noticed, and this is the important detail, Josh, it's there for the people that do. Yeah. You know, the, the way that I'm going to relate this is Destiny, the video game Destiny. If you know what I'm talking about when, in terms of the game, um, there is a shit ton of lore they don't tell you in the story. A crap ton of lore. Uh, however, all of that lore is readable via um, your guns, a website. It's all there. It's all available for anybody who wants to read all the lore. This show does that in its story. Yeah. It goes, hey, there's going to be people who are going to passively watch this, like kids who aren't going to pick up on a lot of the details. And then there's going to be adults who grew up with this who are going to pay attention to every little excruciating detail. And it's all there for you, and you can still enjoy the story either way. Absolutely. And I was actually um, reading an interview with the show creators. And they said, we are... We have plans for another season. We've already got the story worked out of the original story that we were working with. We only have 60% of it told. There's room for more. So, I'm curious to see where they go with it. What's going to happen because there's a lot they're giving us. But as for supplemental materials that's out there. There are comics, there are books, and they actually said one of the things that they're going to deal with that is a big question after this season, they're going to do a comic that launches later this fall that ties into the show. 
So if you like things like that, seek it out. There's a couple of comic series that actually are, you know, post-movie that have just recently been published this year, last year, and the year prior, uh, both 12-issue series. Uh, but, yeah, man, there's there's lots of lore available. If you want to dig for it, it's there. But, yeah, this, this show gives you everything you could possibly hope for if you're into this type of show. Yeah, you know, and that's that's the thing I've noticed uh, with a lot of people both younger than me. Um, this show seems to hit all the notes for people that grew up on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the people that, that didn't grow up on the show, um, that have that don't have a very strong nostalgic reaction, um, it's either in line with me or less so. Like, uh, my brother and his friends were just on Facebook the other day talking about how boring the show is. And how much they didn't yeah, like it. Yeah, but your brother and his friends are boring people. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I was going to say that like they're, uh, a lot of them are really into Labyrinth. Um, they they like the puppeteering and stuff. And they thought the visual aspects were great. But it wasn't enough to keep them there. It just wasn't. Hmm. Uh, and maybe that's because I, in a, in a sense, am forced to stick with it. I can't say for sure if I would have stuck with it after the first episode if I was that kind of a passive watcher, but you know, I, I usually give shows three episodes and I think I would have stuck with it after episode three for just because it was, you know, fun enough for me to watch. Um, but I kind of understand where they're coming from. No, yeah, I get it. I just feel like the show, the show really, really hits its stride like midway through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a slow build because right. you have three protagonists and Rianne, Brea and Deet that don't even meet for multiple episodes and then their journeys all converge into one. Um, and I love how it actually shows the seven clans of Gelfling and how they are, how they're ruled. Like, you know, there's, they're a matriarchal society and each clan has a leader called a Madra. And then there's an all Madra that rules over all of them. And, they they are essentially a caste society um, in the fact that, you know, this one is thought of as the best, and this one is thought of as the second best, and this one is thought of as the lowest, and then there are the ones that are in between. And you see their different physical characteristics. And another little thing, the Dusan, the clan that's out in the desert that you see a few of, um, originally... Jim Henson wanted to have the the Gelfling be blue. So in the lore that has followed since the original movie and since they created the seven clans, the Dusan were blue skinned. So that's where the, that's um, a pretty cool little thing. Well, that that's also just to throw this out there. That's also one of my favorite things about the show that I thought was incredibly clever. Um, in in our world, in the in in our on Earth. Humans uh, have this fun little thing called called uh, uh, um, it starts with an M. I was gonna say pigment, but uh, melanin. And uh, through evolution, um, not only are uh, do our does our melanin look different, hence you know people with darker skin and all that jazz, but also facial features have to change due to circumstantial regional situations. Um. The Gelfling represent that, and it's awesome. 
So, for example, the Gelfling that are in the caves mm-hmm. versus the Gelfling, the, you know, the Gelfling that uh, Rian is part of. The pupils are way different, and it would make sense that if some, if if a group of of mammals was evolving in a cave, their pupils would be much bigger mm-hmm. because they need to see more. They need to have more light enter their eyes. Um, whereas the, the, the surface dwelling ones wouldn't need that. Uh, that little representation was awesome, but their skin color also makes sense scientifically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the Gelfling on the surface are a hell of a lot less pale than the ones underground. Little things like that. I can't help but love. Um, but when it comes to like the podlings, uh, there's very slight variation between them because they are treated like slaves. They didn't have the ability to have freedom to evolve. So that's why they look that mm-hmm. way. Um, and they, there, and like, there are very slight variations between each of them, but not strong like the fucking Gelfling. Um, so just little things like that I notice, I just adore. I just, I, it's so clever. It's so much fun. Um, there's so much good about this. And for anybody that's worried about the CGI in it, it's so minimal. It really, really is. Like, I watched a short two minute thing on the making of, and I was like, these are full on built sets. There are, there are like eight fucking people running like a large puppet. In that room with all the um, with all the uh, uh, sixes, sixes like talking and drinking the potions, there are three people in six. each suit. Six Do puppeteers it. per six? six puppeteers per skexies. Good gravy, but well, that makes sense. Um, I because I was thinking like there's there's one for the arms, there's one for the head. Oh, there's got to be a robot for the fucking eyes. I forgot about the animatronic part. Jesus. Anyway, with with like what? It's like eight sixes, sixes or six, uh, in in the in the show in the Skeksis they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten that are residing in the castle. Um, and then. Or actually, nine reside in the castle. One comes back for a mission. And wow, Skekmal the hunter, holy shit. Uh, and then another one is somewhere else uh, that we won't reveal. But there are 11 well, total Skeksis shown in the show. But there are four that are mentioned that are not in the show that they say they need to call back to the castle. The original. What I'm talking about, what I'm talking about is but, the, there's one shot where there's like, yeah, nine all nine rooms. of them are in one room. Yes. That is insane. When you think of the engineering, the puppeteering, the visual aspect where the cameras need to be, when you think of the making of that shot, you can't help but be impressed. Oh, absolutely. It's phenomenal what they have done. Um, it's, it's a, it's an accomplishment. It's a marvel, man. It's an accomplishment that has yet to be rivaled, aside from the original film itself. You know? It's, dude, it was, like, that's, I can't stress this enough. That's what kept me there. That's what kept me with this show. Anyway, 
we should we should wrap it up. Yeah, we're not um, giving you much. We're not giving much away about the plot. Um, because, you know, hey, we want you to enjoy it. Watch for yourself. Make your own mind up. We're not giving away spoilers on this one. But, uh, I'll go ahead and I'm going to tell you my grade. This, this gets an A fucking plus from me. This show did everything it was meant to do and it did it perfectly, in my opinion. Uh, visuals, set design, creature design, uh, you know, the the plot, the way the story is told, the pacing, everything is wonderful. I absolutely adore this show. I hope they announce season two any day now uh, because it's being talked about all over the place. It's being talked about a lot. Um, and it's, it's wonderful. Um, What's great about the ending of this season is that if, if they didn't get a season two, and they had to just stop it here. It kind of feel like a good enough ending. Like it's it's a succinct story, beginning, middle, and an end, with a triumphant end. So I mean, yeah. But to, there is more story that can be told to lead into the movie. Oh, for sure. They left enough room for that because, as I said, this takes place fifty years before the events of the movie. So. I want to see more, and I, I absolutely, this is one of the most glowing recommendations of a show I can give. It really is. You know, part of that is, you know, the nostalgic factor, but there is no denying the visual and technical marvel that this show has accomplished. Um, so, I think a lot of your review, and there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but I think a lot of your review is um, nostalgia-focused. Uh, I mean, you're not again, wrong, but there's also great story there. I'm not in that right. Um, the story that's told, the way that they tell it, the puppeteering, the animatronics, the visual aspect of the show, uh, both inside the castle, outside the castle, within like uh, small caves and forests and, and all kinds of shit like that, is unbelievably awesome. It is so good and cool to watch. Um, and I love silly, goofy puppeteering shit. Like, the stuff that you can only do so much of. Uh, like, when their soft little puppeteer feet or puppet feet hit the ground, but they have, like, a fully guy make actual footstep sounds. I was like, oh, it's so... I love it yeah. so much. Um, it just hits all those right moments in my brain. Uh, but I think that there are a lot of very boring moments. There's a lot of, of, of dialogue heavy moments that I don't think are super important, but they're just there for people who want to enjoy them. And I think that's great. Um, to me, this show is really, 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 really on par with game of Thrones. Um, and, and again, I use that as a barometer because of how the story is told. It's a very dramatic story with these, Great visuals, um, uh, phenomenal acting, um, really, really in-depth storylines with, uh, like, this dramatic political intrigue shit. And it just, it works. Like, I think that it works, but it's all this fantasy setting. There's no humans in it, and it's, 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 it's really cool to see that. Um, but again, I found part of it boring. I really did. Like, not a ton of it, not the whole fucking thing. Um, but part of it is. So... My rating is not as good as Josh's. It's an A minus. Yeah, still. 
Yeah. That's an A. <laughs> Which is a great rating. Yeah. Um, no, this show is a lot of fun. I think it's really good if you want to watch it with, like, you know, your kids. Uh, depending on age. Depending on how much they or can handle. Or even if you were fond of the original movie, you're going to love this series, hands down. I think that's who this... Honestly, I think this is who this made for, Josh. I think it's made for people your age who have kids who are oh, around that age. Oh, it's absolutely made for people who are fans of the original source material. And, you know, there have been other fans that have latched onto it, um, you know, as a result, um, you know, in other age brackets, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's really enjoyable. Check it out. You won't regret it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, with that being said, guys, we are going to cut it there. We're going to, uh, go ahead and end the podcast. Um, just today's episode, not the entire show. Gonna end the show there. There we go. Is that better? Uh, <laughs> uh, next uh, episode, we are going to talk about three things uh, for two reasons. A lot of video games in my life, uh, primarily Borderlands Three, and I don't have as much time. Uh, plus, we couldn't really find that much. So there's a, there's a myriad of reasons why we're doing this, but we're gonna do three small things. Yeah, we're doing a movie. Um, and it's been out. It's on- been out for a while on Netflix, and it's been on my radar. But a lot of times I save movies like that in case there's not really anything that piques our interest to even cover for the show. So it's a movie starring Will Forte. Uh, it's called A Feudal and Stupid Gesture. And it's about the origin and the creation and the rise of National Lampoon's magazine back in the 70s. So... It sounds it sounds interesting. It looks interesting, so I'm hoping um, I'm hoping it turns out well. And then we're gonna watch two stand-up specials by one guy who has been consistently hilarious, Bill Burr, called Paper Tigers. Um, it's it's gonna be brand spanking new mm-hmm. within the two weeks that we that we record these episodes. Um, yeah, I don't remember what day. The other, it, it drops on the tenth. Um, okay. and that and the other show. Yeah. The other the other one is a. Uh, very, very, very controversial stand-up special uh, that came out a week ago, two weeks ago. What? Uh, controversial? Sticks- oh, my God. Because here's the thing about, the, apparently, I have only watched a couple bits, but Dave Chappelle does not give a shit about PC culture when it comes to comics. No, he doesn't. And no comic and, should. Right. So he kind of... He pushes envelopes that have already been pushed, and I think that's brilliant. So, um, I haven't watched it myself, but I've just seen a couple of clips and, and read a couple of reviews of it, uh, negative reviews, because I was like, I don't, I, I like hearing what people say negatively about things, just because I find a lot of things in a positive nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, anyway, that, that. but anyway, so yeah, we're gonna watch Bill Burr, Paper Tigers, Dave Chappelle, Sticks and Stones, and a futile and stupid gesture. Uh, they're all gonna be short and sweet so join us in two weeks when we talk about that join us next week when josh and i talk about some nonsense uh likely we're gonna play another uh, round of um oh well de- it, it's, it's, it's absolutely a time for more crazy news headlines next episode uh and you know what we could call the show what's that you know what we call that segment factor fiction news headlines and that or, way you can pull a jonathan uh jonathan uh what the fuck's his name on me? Okay. Did we make that up? Did did we uh did we make that up or is that true? 
Nope, you're wrong. It was we made that one up. Okay, okay. You know, you know what show I'm talking about? No, I don't. Um, oh, the guy who played Riker on uh, uh, Last Gener- or Next Generation. Jonathan Frakes. Jonathan Frank Frakes. He Frakes. Like Frakes the yard. He had a show. <laughs> he had a show. I don't remember what channel. It might have been Sci-Fi, but they would tell outlandish tales that were fact or fiction. And what he would do is before it would come out, he'd say like, here's a story of blah, 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 blah. Can you tell if it's real or fake? And then when it would come back, he was like, did we make that one up? We sure did. It's hilarious. Uh, and somebody like compiled all the moments where he says like, nope, we made that one up. You're wrong. Like compiled all of it together. And it's really fucking funny. So that's why I was making that joke. Gotcha. Hey, for anybody listening to this podcast that gets my references, please tell me so I don't feel weird. Uh, let him feel weird. Um, <laughs> uh, Josh, why don't you let them know where you can where you, they can find you on the uh, Well, along with this show every Friday, uh, you can catch me on a live podcast every Friday night on the Realm of Collectors YouTube channel on a show we like to call MPSP Theater where my friends and I cover uh, various pop culture and geek topics throughout the week prior. Um, You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and the easiest way to do so is to find me on Facebook. My profile is public, and my Instagram and Twitter accounts are linked to it. So throw me a follow, send me a hello, don't forget, in every description of our shows, we have our merchandise link to our Redbubble store for official all queued up merchandise, uh, shirts and such. I'm also including the links to our Facebook group, our Facebook discussion page, and our Discord server where you can talk to me and Greg any day of the week exclusively on Discord. So hit those links, follow all those things. That's the best way to keep up with us. What about you, Greg? Yes. Where can they find you? Uh, you can follow me on all social medias at Chub Rock Geek. Um, I also have a Twitch, a Mixer, and a um, YouTube channel. Jesus Christ, I was like, there was a third one. Uh, Chub Rock Geek, just search for my name, you'll you'll find me. Um, I, like I said, I'm going to post that video of me reacting to that shot from Dark Crystal on my YouTube. Um, and uh, very soon here. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna announce it on our social medias as well. So follow all queued up on all the social medias. Um, we're gonna start doing some Jackbox streams. Um, they announced all five games for Jackbox Party Pack Six. Uh, some are like three. Are th- uh, three I think are fucking dynamite. The other two are I don't know yet. We'll see. Um, but it should be a really fun time. Uh, and. What we're going to try to do before that is find time to do some uh, Jackbox Party Pack 5, 4, 3 um, before then. Uh, and we're going to do it on my channel, Chub Rock Geek. Um, I'm thinking Sunday nights, Josh. I'm thinking Sunday nights. Sound, sounds good. good. Um, but yeah. Uh, so again. Follow Chub Rock Geek. Follow All Queued Up on all social medias. Did you list off those and I wasn't paying attention because I was looking at my phone? Yeah, I did. Okay, good. I thought you did. Um, 
But yeah, guys, that's going to do it. Join us next week for Uninhibited. All right, we're going to play another round of uh, Crazy Headlines. It's going to be fun. I'm probably going to get them all wrong again, and my dad's going to get them right. It's going to suck. Um, it's always my goal. And then make sure in the next two weeks you watch Bill Burr, Paper Tigers, Dave Chappelle, Sticks and Stones, and a futile and stupid gesture to join us in our conversation about what we thought of those things. Um, and I think that's it. Uh, thank you guys for listening so much, and we'll see you next time. Take care, everybody.